Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, I'm Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the podcast for special needs. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand and continual changes, teachers, Senkos, leaders and parents need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives and the Sendcast is the answer. In this episode, we're talking about the role of the governing body in relation to SEND with my guest, Kate Browning. Kate is an independent consultant supporting schools make improvements around SEND. But before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual SEND Conference? Hopefully by now you've been listening to this for a while and you have. But the Virtual SEND Conference is a conference that we started running in 2019 that is about making CPD around SEND more affordable, easier to access, and to make impact on the entire school. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you want as they're available on demand. For more information, visit our new website, www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing the role of the governing body in relation to SEND, the statutory duties around SEND, and the Equalities Act. My guest this week is Kate Browning, an independent SEND consultant who focuses on school improvement for SEND. She has been, and I'm going to give you the short version again, a SENCO, SEND Advisory Teacher, Local Authority School Improvement Officer for SEND, and Interim Education Development Officer for NASEN. She teaches the NASENCO course at the University of Northampton, and lectures on the schools direct for their PGCE program. And in all that spare time, she has Kate facilitates the Senko network across Leicestershire, Warwickshire, and Derbyshire. She supports governors and also has lots of time to be a chair of governors. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you, Dale. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. So I've also been a governor and a chair of governors, mm-hmm. and I find the, goal, the role of a governor very odd. Lots of responsibility, lots to learn if you don't work in education, and it requires a lot of time, so much more time than they tell you. Mm. Even as someone who had that kind of educational knowledge before I went in, there was still so much I had to learn, and also how different things are from being in a school to being in a private company, especially when it comes around to employing people. So much you have to sort of hoops you jump through. Governors are there as a critical friend, which is a phrase I hate. We may get onto that later, we may not. They are there to make sure the school is doing all the things it should. So this means the governors need to know their statutory duties and hold that school to account. So let's start with what are the statutory duties for the governing board around SEND? Right. Well, the the statutory duties really come from two places in terms of SEND. First of all, we've we've got the the, the code of practice, and also we have crucially the Equality Act as well, 2010, and the duties that we have there in relation to children, young people with disabilities specifically. So if we think sort of first of all about the the SEND code of practice, the the responsibilities of the governing board with the new, well, it's relatively new, we still call it the new code of practice, don't you, even though it was 2015, five years ago now, but haven't changed a great deal since the last code. But generally speaking, we're talking about thinking about the code of practice and in relation to specifically chapter six which is a school's chapter and then when we look at when we look at that that chapter we will see the word must and we will see the word should and when we see the word must which is always in bold 
we know that is a statutory responsibility. There is a regulation that sits behind that. So we must, as a governing board, make sure that that is happening. And then we see the shoulds, which aren't statutory, but they are pretty strong. You know, they, we really need to have regard to this, the shoulds as well. So the first thing I would say before we actually go into what, you know, these the statutory duties are, is to make sure that all members of the governing board have read chapter six. So, and I would say, I mean, every teacher needs to read chapter six, as does every head teacher and member, you know, everybody working in the schools, because that that code of practice is a code for everybody that works with, within schools. So, I really would love to do a realistic survey <laughs> of how, how many, many Senkos have read the whole document, how many yes, teachers, yes. how many head teachers, and how many governors. Mm. And with all the pressures, that's the sort of thing, it's, it's very busy, but I, I do think in a lot of people, they haven't read these documents. Yeah. They haven't read it. I, I know someone who the first time they read the national curriculum was when they stopped teaching. <laughs> yes. They didn't have time to read it when they were mm. teaching. They relied on someone else to tell them what they had to do rather than actually go find out for themselves. So it is one of those things, I always read this from chapter six, and I'm literally just going, I need my experience as a governor. Mm. No, literally. If you didn't, if, if a governor didn't go through a document like that and pull out all of those musts mm. into a smaller document, mm. They wouldn't even look at it. Right. And even when you've done that and really shoved it under their noses, even then, some of them wouldn't read it. Yeah. And do you know what? It's not long. It, it, it's not. You know, it really isn't. And that's not to say that, that it, the most people who work within an education setting, teachers, et cetera, will, will, will read that and, and be, you know, understand what it's talking about. There will be some elements of that, of course, as a governor. If you haven't, you're not embedded and immersed in education, it's going to think, well, what do they mean by that? I'm not sure about that. Yeah. However, that's that's part of the hopefully, you know, good training that the governing board have around SEN. And that's my bet noir. You know, there's just not enough really good, decent training around SEN for governing boards and also around, uh, you know, the quality act duties as well. You, you know, I frequently do training for governors and actually some of them have been governors for years and just aren't really sure what you mean when you talk about the Equality Act. Now, we wouldn't dare do that we were talking about keeping children safe in education and the safeguarding stuff you know we are on it you know we can't afford not to be on it you know but it you know these things are just as important as well that that we we have that clarity of understanding so i will keep banging on about getting people to read chapter six and maybe a couple yes. more people as a result of this podcast will will read it but you know it, good training around SEN for governing boards will include a sort of a pricey anyway of, of what those statutory duties duties are. But knowing where they've come from and, and, and looking at it for yourself is, is, is crucial. So anyway, let's kick off. What are those, those, those statutory duties? First of all, we need to meet the Equality Act duties. And that actually is referred to in the SEND Code of Practice because it is an SEND Code of Practice. So we'll perhaps come to talk about what those duties are in a minute. It requires the school governing board to use their best endeavours to meet children's special educational needs. And that's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? And we could almost do an entire podcast on what best endeavours, you know, means. And obviously, having just gone through a period of lockdown and adjustments to modification to the law, that was reduced to reasonable, if you remember, just recently, although it's stopped now. We're back to best endeavours again. Best endeavours for me 
means we don't give up. We keep trying. We can't always get it right first time. Uh, God knows I wish we could. But, you know, we, we keep using our graduated approach and we will keep trying to find out how we can continue to get better and better and better at meeting children's needs. So we're doing the very best that we can. It's not reasonable. You know, it's best endeavours. So I think that's it's a kind of bit that you you have to keep questioning yourself and being critical as a governing board, as a teacher, as a as an organisation, as a trust. Are we doing the very best that we can? And it's always as a governor, you could always ask when you discuss mm. this. Always ask, could we do more? Yeah, that's all you have to ask to do that. Our best endeavour is, could we do more? And if the answer is, well, yeah, but. We stop. You stop at the yeah. If there's more we can do, we should be doing it. And it's and it is about you know using our best endeavours within the frustrations and limitations of of what we can control and what we can't control. You know, if yes, I could do much better if I had more money and more time and you know yeah. And that and that will always be the limitations and parameters with which we work. And and when I I think about that, I always think about that. Yeah, I think it's called the serenity prayer, isn't it? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I like that. I think that's that's the courage to change the things I can and, and challenge what isn't working. And you know, if I think if if collectively we're understanding that that continual drive for improvement, drive to be better, then we're going to be moving in the right direction. And over time, looking for better and better outcomes for our children and young people, rather than doing what we've always done and sort of going, oh, well, that's the best we can do. It's not our fault. It's, you know, well, you know, that's what the kids like. That's what the family's like. That's what the local authority do. You know, we've got to try and think, well, what yeah. can, even if it's marginal gains that we can control, let's let's look to changing those things. So, yeah, best endeavours. Another one of the statutory duties is to inform parents when pupils are receiving support. I mean, why inform? I think we talked about that on a previous podcast. You yes. know, it's such a diabolical verb, isn't it? To inform. I'm going to, you know, smacks of just writing them a letter and telling them this is what we're doing to your child. I think what that's basically getting at is we need to make sure parents know what we're doing and we're actually working alongside and with them on, on, on yeah. that. So when we're making special educational provision for their child, usually that means placing them on the SEM register that we are we are not you know, excluding parents from knowing about that. But of course, the spirit of the reforms and certainly the detail of the shoulds in the code of practice go beyond inform. It's much- it should be a conversation, a discussion. Yeah, real partnership there, co-production, those kind of verbs which are much more empowering. We need to make sure the school admits children, young people, if they are named on an education, health and care plan. So if an local authority does name your school on the plan, then even if you're full, we need to admit that child. Needing to appoint a suitably qualified or experienced qualified teacher as SENCO. So this came in actually before the code of practice, any the new code of practice anyway. But yes, so governing board need to make sure that they have a SENCO on role in the school and that that SENCO is a qualified teacher and that they have undertaken the Naysenko Award within three years of taking that role on, unless they are suitably experienced, which means that they have been Senko for more than 12 months. But it's, you know, it's some of, the, of course, we have many Senkos who've been Senko for more than 12 months prior to 2009 when that 
that duty came in, that regulation came in, so they wouldn't need to do it. But I think the situation we've got now is, you know, we've got a vast majority of people now, you know, needing to undertake the Nesenko award. Then another duty to take account of the code of practice when carrying out its duties. So that taking account or uh, another another phrase is to have regard to the code basically means unless you think you've got a better way of doing it, you know, you've got to you've got to really be following the code of practice yeah. and how, how that, that outlines the the structure and system of, of, of provision, particularly around the graduated approach. So, again, another reason to read it. Then a new one that came in with the with the um, new code of practice, which is to develop the SCN information report and have that published on the school's website. So this is really trying to get to address the issue that many parents have had and still have about what, well, what should I expect the school to be doing if my child has SCN? What, what, what are they offering? What, what are they, how are they you know, supporting my child? How are they going to involve me? How is my child going to have a voice in their needs and the provision? And and how how's how's transition going to work? And and uh, what what can I expect? You know, that kind of targeted support to to look like. So you can you can argue. Well, a lot of that is in schools. Do argue a lot of that is in your is in your policy. Yeah. But the SEN information report is about is for the parents and children and young people as well, particularly as they. You know, get a little bit older. So it's that SEN information report should be written in a way that parents are fully understanding and it's and it's accessible to to them. And it needs to be on the school website as well and linked to the local authorities' local offer. So parents should be able to go to either the the, the local area, the local offer, and see the school's name and and link onto the school's SEN information report that way. Or you could go direct to the school's own website and see it there. Hopefully not sort of embedded too far into the SEN, you know, into the website. But I think Nason's advice is like three clicks away. That's, you know, that's a good rule of thumb. Can you, can you find it within three clicks of being on the homepage? That's too many to me. It's still too many for you. Yeah, yeah, yes. I, I, you know, it's, and there's so many different, I've done a, recently done a, a trawl through reviewing a load of SEN information reports for a local authority who, who asked me to do that. And, and um, it is fascinating to see, you know, how well embedded, far, far embedded the, the information reports are. Sometimes you're just struggling five minutes or so more before you yeah. find it. And some it's loud and proud, you know. To me, it should be a menu item on the website. Yeah. Me, I should see it. It might say you go over to that, you hover over that, mm. that pops out. SEN report, click. Yeah, if I'm having to click on a page, SEN, and scroll down and find a link, one line, one button, one word to that document, that's not enough. It needs to be, it should be a menu item on that website, make it really clear, make it really easy to find. Yeah, and it, it might be that you know, there's a heading on that that he- website that from the homepage that says inclusion or equality, you know, or you know, or SCND, and and it's and it sits in there, something a little bit more, you know, easy to navigate. It would, you yeah. know, it is the better way. Uh, and of course, schools also need to have a a link on their website to their local areas, local authorities, local offer as well. And if I, I think if you sit on the border between a couple of counties, a couple of local authorities, then it's probably best to have, you know, both those and links on your website as well. But I think you could just talk about the websites. I think 
an important thing for governors as, as well to, to think about is just just have a look at your website and just think how can you tell what our ethos and values as a school are around SEN by by looking at that website? You know, it's, what I like to think about it is can you feel the inclusive temperature? You know, can, can, can you get a sense of because certainly having done this recent trawl through lots of them, I, you can really see that some of them are just shouts at you that inclusivity that drive for equality and you know you can really feel that warmth coming through and then others it's just not there yeah i've actually talked to in my role as, as b squared talk to parents who are going oh this school can't i make my child isn't making any progress and the school aren't really interested and i get i'm getting the parents point of view and that might be not what actually is happening mm then that communication is the responsibility of the school to keep the parent informed and well understood and all that. But the number of times you'll go to a school website and you will see those values on the front page. Mm. You'll see their values, their ethos, their vision, their mission. You'll see all those things on the front page. Then you might go to other pages and it's kind of, it's disappeared. They're not living it. Yes. That's one thing I find sometimes they say these things. We want every child, blah, 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 blah. And I always go to someone, Look, generally your school will say we want every child. Use that against them. If they're not doing it for your child, you can use and generally so if you've got these things on your website, you need to, as you just said, now think about how that looks with inclusion. Yeah. If you've got these values, if you're saying this is really important to us, when you look at your inclusion, it should have that all the way through. It shouldn't be a bolt on yeah. at the side which sits there as its own thing. And it should be entwined with your school vision and your ethos and your values. Yeah. And I think also, you know, I was just reflecting on this. I wonder how often as a as a Senko or, or any sort of teacher in the school, how often do you look at your own school's website? You, know, you probably don't that often. You know, you're too busy getting on with everything else you've got to do, haven't you? So yeah. it's probably not a bad idea, you know, at the point when you're, the code of practice asks us to annually refresh your SEN information report, update it. And more often, if, 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 if needs be, and I know people have, have sort of done that in the light of COVID and the, you know, adjustments have had to be made to, you know, around sort of remote learning, et cetera. There's been adjustments people have been making to their SEN information reports. But maybe at the point where you do that, it's not a bad idea to just have a look at your, your website and just think, OK, what's, how is this going to communicate to parents with children with SEND? And then, you know, get parent feedback on that even better. You know, they're the customers, you know, and, and, and children, young people certainly as they get begin to get a little bit older, you know, what's their views of how, how are they represented and their, their, their individuality represented within our websites as well? And one thing, while we're on websites, because I'm a techie person, I love them, <laughs> is Google the name of your school every so often. Because mm. sometimes when a school does a new website, they often change their, that domain name, this website address, they change it. But the problem is people refer to it as the old one. So what you sometimes find when you, when you Google your school name, when we have it, we're, we're trying to find information for a school. So you Google the school name, you get a link, and it's like the site does not exist. Or it says we'll be back soon or new site coming. And you go there going, oh, well, you phone the school and you go, oh, no, that's, that's our old website. Oh. So when you put that website up, you've got to make sure if you do change your website, you've got to make sure your local authority knows. You've got to make sure other people in your area who are pointing yeah. to your website know you can do redirects. You can forge. If anyone goes to your old site, it goes to your new website automatically. You don't actually have to do anything, but they do have to do it. So when you're looking at, not, it's not only just going to your website, but if you Google your school name, 
Are they finding your website? Yeah. Are they actually hitting your website you want? Or are they hitting something else? Because often, if the school is rubbish, and especially when you get um, lots of St. Matthews or St. This yes. or the word Brook, or it's really hard to find that. So it's always about putting the town in. It's making sure that you can actually go, you are maybe at the top. Mm-hmm. Often you'll find the local authority, you'll find Ofsted, but it is... It's a bit of marketing for your school, yeah. your admissions and all that lot of stuff. But it is, if they if, if you don't have a website, they're going to Google you mm. and you can't stop them doing that. So you've got to make sure the information they find is correct. Sometimes you've just got to phone, email someone and go, we've updated our website. Yes, yeah. That is something which, when you go to someone going, look, I've been to your website five times over the last two years. It keeps going to this. Do you, do you know? They're going, no, our website's mm. up, I'm on it. What website are you on? You give it to them, they go, oh. Mm. So... Top techie tip, Dale. Top techie tip. That's good. <laughs> Back to governors. Back to governors. The, the, the sort of final one really here from the code is, again, a new one that came with the new code of practice, to make arrangements to support children with medical conditions and have regard to those statutory duties that come from the uh, supporting children with medical conditions in school. So it's, it's important to recognise here that just because a child has a medical condition, we are not going to be putting them necessarily on the SEM register. That's just for a starter here. I think this this statutory responsibility sits in the code of practice because there perhaps are, generally speaking, probably more children. There are going to be children with medical conditions who also have SEND as well. So that's I think that's why they've sort of put it in there because it was you know it's quite it was quite timely that 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 guidance had been updated and well let's refer to it make sure that schools have seen it as well and it's it's embedded within the code of practice. But let's not make the kind of assumption here that what we mean by that is every child with a medical condition needs to be on the SEM register because they don't. And, and if you're wondering whether they do or they don't, then refer to previous podcasts that we've done, Dale, on identification yes. of SEN, and, and hopefully, you know, that'll be your route to answering that problem. And I was also just thinking, just because it's in the uh, SEND code of practice doesn't mean it's the SENCO's responsibility Absolutely. either. You know, make sure that one really clear. That, that's, you preempted me there. That's a brilliant point. That it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it doesn't mean to say that all children with medical conditions now, oh, here's another responsibility for you as the SENCO. It might be. Depending on the size of the school. But the school needs to make a decision as to, as to wh- who, where does that responsibility sit and with whom. And I would argue it needs to sit with somebody on the leadership team of the school because it is blinking important. Talking as a mother of a child who has a severe fish allergy and has an anaphylaxis reaction, if she does even sniff fish in the air when someone's cooking it, you know, I really want to know and make sure that the school are very clear about what those duties and, and responsibilities are for children with with that kind of medical condition, any medical condition, obviously. So so whose responsibility does that sit with? Obviously it's there's the making sure you have the policy in place and there's good guidance around that. Again, if you go to the DFE website, perhaps Dale, we can make a link to that as well for the podcast. So schools have seen that. But yeah, but it's certainly an important part of a governing board's responsibility there to make sure that they are really confident that that statutory guidance is in place and is up to date and is continually refreshed and regularly audited. That's the guidance that the school's provision around supporting children with medical conditions is regularly audited. And again, as you rightly said, Dale, that doesn't mean to say it's a Senko's duty, but it needs to be somebody's duty to sort of oversee that. So who does that sit with? Whose job description 
is that does that sit within is is an important consideration for the governing body to know and be and you always want to you want that senior leadership because you really want that to be thought of in every situation absolutely you don't want it to be a key stage two thing and the person who's responsible for it is key stage one mm-hmm. and well that's key stage so i'm ignoring it actually no it's got to be someone who pays interest so it, that medical policy is going to come into effect on sports day yes it's going to come into effect on every school trip yeah so it's got to make sure that someone is thinking about this responsibility constantly in all different situations. And there are going to be children on our SEND registers that will need care plans as well, healthcare plans. And and that's sort of where we're trying to think about that whole child, aren't we, when we're looking at, you know, making provision and considering children's needs. So there is that overlap there. Yeah. That's why it's it, it sits as a statutory duty within the code of practice. So, yeah, they are... The, the core statutory duties really for uh, governing boards and trusts around from the code of practice. And so then we also have, I mentioned right at the top of this podcast, that the governing board and trust is responsible for meeting Equality Act duties. So if we sort of shift our attention now over to the Equality Act 2010, we need to make sure as a governing board that we are really clear about what those duties are. And we're going to be talking about them in this podcast in relation to children with disabilities so that specific protected characteristic yep. but of course there are all the other protected characteristics that the quality act refers to as well so we won't want to forget those but we will focus you know predominantly on on the disability element here so the equality act makes it unlawful for the school to discriminate and that's direct or indirect discrimination discriminate against children with disabilities, harass or victimise a pupil or a potential pupil. So that's a child that may be coming into our school as well. So we've got to be careful that there's no discrimination in the education that we provide and the way we provide education for children with disabilities, in the way that we provide access to the facilities, the services that we provide in the school. We need to make sure that we don't exclude a pupil or subject them to any detriment because of their disability. So that's quite a massive, you know, it's quite a lot to think about there, isn't it? I'm going to go on that. I'm going to go back to that potential pupil bit. And I've heard so many stories of parents approaching their local schools or a school that's been recommended as being good and having that phone call where, okay, I'd like to come and visit my school. And they go, tell me about your child. And they go, oh, my child's got special needs. And some parents have been met with the, oh, we don't take them. Mm. Or literally being hung up off on. So if you are someone who's had that experience, I would straight away, with the Equalities Act, as uh, Kate's just mentioned, be contacting the chair of governors of that school Mm. and making them very aware that that was how you were. And generally, the reason these schools are doing this, league tables. That's a sad fact. And I've, I've I've heard head teachers really ranting about this because various other schools in their areas will not take children with special needs. Mm. Various academies, and that's where it starts to get really interesting, working out where do you go with the academy. But basically would refuse to take pupils and their child, their school took everyone because that's what your responsibility is, that's what you do. And then their results dropped. And because their results dropped, he was removed from post. Mm. So... You hear these stories. I'm lucky I've not experienced it, but I, I bet there are people out there listening to us who have experienced it. 
And this is before the child's even got in the school, that discrimination is happening mm. because of league tables. So, yeah, before you even get onto the um, excluding peoples mm. and the SCND and that implication, which is another huge, huge topic, mm. that is just a really big area and a really difficult one as well. Yeah, it, it, it is a difficult one. And I, and, I, and I don't honestly think that there's anybody that goes into becoming a teacher and says, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to exclude somebody or I, you know, there are kids that I want to teach and kids I don't want to teach. You know, I, I, I find that really hard to think that, that someone would think like that, although I, I guess there are people like that. But, but yeah, par- parents have and they do. They do experience, you know, going to have a look around the school and, well, do you know what, I know there's a school down the road who's really good with kids like yours, you know. Is it, why didn't you have a look at that? You know, it's that kind of, you know, or, or you just don't, just don't get that warmth. I was talking earlier about that inclusive temperature. Yes. Parents know within five minutes of walking in a school whether, you know, that temperature is warm or not. And I do not blame parents one bit for going, do you know what, I, I don't want to send my child here. I don't want to, you know, yeah. come to this school. I'd rather go somewhere that was welcoming and opening. And there are many, many schools who will do that. But surely you're a school, you're a school for kids for your local area, your local community. And that's not to say there aren't massive challenges when we when we do have children in our school with complex needs and you know we we do schools need that support and they need the funding and we've got to keep fighting for that because and I and I know that that we become better educators when we have children with special needs in our school and and I know people who said to me time after time, you know, I'm really glad we had X child, Y child come into our school with this difficulty, that difficulty, because actually, you know, it's made us better teachers and it's made us better educators and it's made us, you know, really consider and think about our values and what we, we are, are we here for. So, yeah, the Equality Act is there to kind of push that, really. I think as, 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 even if you're not sending your child to that school, you should probably... Uh... I would still yeah. send that letter. Yeah. You might, you've made your decision. You've not been welcome, but hopefully by doing that, yes, they, they might not be aware yeah. that this is happening and you might be able to change things for future pupils going there. Mm. No, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. So a very unique element of the Equality Act in relation to disability is that actually we are being asked in schools to treat children with disabilities more favourably if there's something that we uh, is happening in the school that is likely to be putting that child at a disadvantage. So that's where we have this phrase, reasonable adjustment. So we need to, so we are going to make a reasonable adjustment to ensure that that, that detriment that is happening at the moment puts that child back on an equal footing with all other children. So we treat them more favourably in order for that to happen. And that's it's such an important concept for everybody who's working in the school, and I mean everybody, to to be aware of. And and certainly governors, we need to be thinking about that crucially as well. So, you know, and it's and that's indirect or direct. So, give an example: you may have a young person in the school who has a, a physical mobility difficulty, and I could think about a young person I know who takes her a little bit more time to to move about than other children because of a physical disability. So she is allowed to go out to playtime a few minutes before everybody else does because 
actually, if she left the classroom at the same time as all the other kids, the chances are she may be in difficulty. She might get knocked over. She's a bit slower. She has walking aids and things like that to, to do that. So she's treated more favourably, but only to the extent that that puts her on an equal footing, which means she gets the same amount of playtime as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So there's things like that. And that's obviously a, you know, a, a physical disability, but you know, there's all, also other reasonable adjustments that we need to make for the pupils with you know, more hidden disabilities. So it might be around children with autism spectrum conditions that uh, we need to make sure that we alert them to any changes or differences in the school day. And it might be they, they need to have time to adjust to that. It might be that they need to wear ear defenders when they're in uh, assemblies and things like that. It might be that they need some time out at some points of the day to just have some calming exercises or calm time. It might be children with ADHD that need those sensory breaks um, and children with ASC as well may need those sensory breaks and they build those in in order to be able to, you know, continue to focus and access their learning. So, I mean, we're making those reasonable adjustments all the time and perhaps we don't always think about them as being actually that's what they are. But let's focus from a governor point of view. What I like to think about is, is whenever you are sitting in a governing board meeting, a committee meeting, making a visit to the school, just put your equality duty glasses on and sort of filter everything that's happened, happening that you can see is happening, policy and practice through those reasonable adjustment glasses. So is there anything that we are doing that could be directly or indirectly discriminating against children with special needs and disabilities? Is there anything that we're doing in terms of our policies we're making Think about things like the behaviour policy. You know, that's a yeah. classic one where we can end up discriminating against children, you know, quite easily if we don't think about think about that. So the governing board's duty, everybody, every governor's duty is to make sure that they are you know, wearing those reasonable adjustment, you know, Equality Act glasses to filter, you know. And it, it does come into everything. So if you're yeah. talking about making changes to the school day. If you're talking about a new school building and the building works that's going to happen, if you're talking just uh, school trips, mm. everything, that question should be asked every time. Yes. So we're going to do that. We're going on a school trip. Okay. So uh, what reasonable adjustments are being made for pupils? Mm. Maybe just, it's just a really simple question. And it, yeah. your, your job is to make sure the school is thinking about it. Your job is not to make the reasonable adjustment. Your job is just to have that conversation and see how much thought has been put into that by the school. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's, there's that difference between, you know, the, as governors, we, we try not to get involved in the operational day-to-day management side of things, do we? We're trying to sort of focus on the strategic. But it's, but it's important that we, as governing board, are assured that the school Every teacher, everybody that works in school knows what their duties and responsibilities are. Yeah. And I think particularly around things like the Code of Practice and the Equality Act, you know, that's worth getting, you know, having on a rolling programme of CPD for your governing board and staff in school. You know, we need to be reminded and refreshed, don't we? You know, just like we do with autism or dyslexia or whatever. You know, we don't do that training once and say, oh, we've done that, tick it off, that's it, we you know, you know, people change, staff change and, and children change. So we need to, you know, be aware of that profile of disability across our school. And are we, you know, really understanding what those children's needs are and how, 
you know, we may be directly or indirectly discriminating, harassing, victimising, hopefully not those, you know, children. A really simple example of where reasonable adjustment wasn't made and wasn't thought about is an experience my sister had, as I always, always lots of stories of my sister. Mm-hmm. And I think a new head teacher came along and after a while decided they don't, they're somebody who doesn't like the school bell. Mm. So they were going to get rid of the school bell. But also, they didn't want any children to have their mobile phones out during the day. Mm. So my nephew has autism. The bell was his signal to go in. Mm. They didn't really communicate to him the bell was going to stop. Mm. So he's outside waiting for the bell. That's his signal to go in. Changing lessons, the bell. But he also wasn't allowed to carry his mobile phone on him so he could check the time. He doesn't like wearing watches. He has, it causes sensory issues for him and things like that. So he can't wear a watch and he's not allowed his phone and the bell's gone. How is he supposed to know? Mm. And some people just put a, no, that's not right. That's not a reasonable adjustment. This is the situation we're in. What is a reasonable adjustment which would work for this child? Yeah. But it was never thought about. And it was mm. took my sister a while to work out this, this is what was causing issues for her son. Yeah. Because she wasn't told of this. Yeah. And it was she finally unpicked it all, phoned up and said, well, What's going on? And then found out. And she was like, What about my son? Mm. And it hadn't been taken into consideration. No, and sometimes with the best one in the world, you, you don't anticipate, you just don't realise, do you? And yeah, we've all been there. No. And we, you know, we just thought, oh, I hadn't even thought, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You know, but the point, you know, if you've got good communication with child and parents, you know, you can quickly pick up where those issues have occurred and make those adjustments as soon as possible. And hopefully also that will help you learn a little bit more about that child so that in the future you can anticipate those kind of yes. problems and make those adjustments in advance where where needs be so it might be for you know your nephew that okay when when they are out of school routine and they're on a trip or a, a residential how's he going to know where he's got to be when he's got to be you know let's talk to him mum, parents about you know how we can make sure he's assured because that's obviously a point you know of, of it's really important, you know, that you knowing what to do, where to be at the right time. So how's that going to be signalled, you know, when you're away from the school? So you, it's so there's an anticipatory duty there as well. We call it to, to be thinking ahead. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it's having that thing. So when you are thinking of doing something, on a, this is on a, not on a governor's level, but as a school level, is what we're looking at doing this. And again, this is Senko or somebody should be going. Okay, what's the implications for these pupils and just. Yeah almost just going through quickly and thinking about it. But that needs to be taken into consideration. That needs to be part of the process. Not make a decision and then go with it. It's make a decision, okay, and how was that going to... um, What's the effect? Yeah. Are we discriminating against anyone? Yeah. And we, we really, I mean, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about remote learning and the expectation now that by the end of September, all schools will have a, a robust remote learning you know, package in place and the importance of thinking about what that looks like for children with special needs and disabilities. I know I had one Senko said to me, oh, you know, every class teachers had to, had to make a pack, a remote learning package up for their class and was looking at it with, with one of the teachers and thinking there's no way that three or four of the children in that teacher's classes were going to be able to access the learning that they've planned for. So, 
you know, that's that's discrimination. You know, it, there has to be the equity of access to remote learning. So it, it's things like that as well. And although that's quite operational, I know we're talking about governance today. But you should be asking that question. Exactly. That's still an important question to be asking. OK, we, we know that we've got this duty, this responsibility to set this remote learning package up and to think about that. So can you assure me, us as a governing board, that we've thought about those children with special needs and disabilities and, and what that's going to look like for them? What have we done to, to put those children back on that equal footing, to mitigate against the potential discrimination yeah. that, that might occur there? So, yeah, yeah. The, just the, the other thing about the Equality Act, and I have to say, I'm a bit geeky about this. I really love it. And that's the accessibility plan. I know I know, there's not going to be many people in the world who get excited about the accessibility plan, but I really do <laughs> because I think it's fabulous vehicle to really improve, be the, be the driver to improve provision for children with disabilities in our, in, in our school because it's, it's, in, it's written in law, you know. So... Yep. Think about this, and I'm talking to you know Senkos here as much as I am to, to governing boards. But that, that accessibility plan planning duty. So what it is about is that all schools must have planning in place to improve the extent to which disabled pupils can participate in the curriculum, to improve the physical environment. So pupils with disabilities take better advantage of educational facilities, services, etc. And to improve the availability of accessible information to disabled pupils. So this isn't just saying, saying, oh, yeah, we're doing really, really well. Tick, done. This is about actually knowing what this is. So this duty is, is placing an imperative on schools to do is to continue to push forward and get better and better and better to meet a broader range of disability and more complex disability and and just really begin to think in anticipatory way what what can we continue to do best endeavors it's back to best endeavors isn't it and this is a vehicle through which we can you know push those best endeavors so so with that robust remote learning mm. the accessibility plan applies to that it does and and what we can you know you can, schools can do is it's an accessibility planning duty but most schools have an accessibility plan a freestanding document you don't have to because those those plans that those actions to improve provision in those three areas might be part of your SEND development plan or it might be part of the school improvement plan but by and large most schools have an accessibility plan and I can put a, a, you know give you a, a blank template for that day or we can yeah. include that as well but yeah that that's what I know that's certainly what I've done as as a SEND governor school is just worked with the senior leadership team in the school not necessarily the Senko again there's nothing in the Equality Act that says this is the responsibility of the Senko to put in place an accessibility plan nothing like that it is just it is the it's so broad. It's, you know, if the accessibility plan is going to have impact, then as a governing board, we need to make sure that is a whole school are engaged and involved in making these improvements that are specified in the plan. But yeah, just auditing what are the range of disabilities we have in a school and, and also thinking about your, your parents as, as well and looking at, you know, what is it that we need to continue to improve and develop 
around participation in the curriculum, the physical environment, accessible information. And what I love about the accessibility plan is that because it's a statutory document, it has to be resourced. So if we've identified these actions need to be taken, there needs to be, you know, we need to make sure we financially resource that. And it needs to be reviewed. So there's an annual review of how you're getting on and then rewritten every four years. And it needs to be reported on and it needs to be online on the school website. So it's quite a powerful document. So I think it's, it's it, you know, sometimes we put... I can see why you're geeky about it. Good. I mean, am I convincing you, Dale? This <laughs> You are. You are. Before we started recording, I was talking to Kate about my experience as a governor and chair of governors, and not all positive. And I think, I think what happens with a lot of governors is you become a governor and you're very green, you're nervous, and you come to this governing body and you might have what you think you want to do. But generally what happens is you become a bit of a sheep. You do kind of fit in with the way that governing body works. And kind of what you think you don't want, so everyone else seems to think it's fine. So this must be the right thing. And you can become a really easy become a sheep. And I think it's important as that govern as that governor listening to all the things you've told us. You need to do this. 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 Governing body's wrong. This is if you're a governor listening to this, and you're literally going, "We are so not doing this," or mm. "I don't think we are." Mm. Re-listen to this podcast again. Go to your school website. Find these documents on your website. Find what your school is doing about it. Find this plan. Find the last, and then literally build up your thing, and then bring it up as an AOB. Guys, mm-hmm. give lots of warning, but make sure this. I want this, or even go as a main discussion point, and make sure. Um, when I did my governor's training, the trainer always said, "What you'll find as a as a governor is." When you're a new governor, you've had you probably want one of the governors who've had the most recent training. Mm. The chair of governors might not have had any training for years, and things have changed. So you've come in, you've been told about the Equality Act, you've been told about all these things, but other people might not be aware of. So don't assume what they're doing is right. You, you you're allowed to go in and be annoying and ask lots of questions as a new governor, and don't be scared to do that. Go and ask those annoying questions. Be that annoying person. And if you really believe, even after you've been a governor for two years, you're listening to that going, we're really not doing this still. Mm. Still make that noise. Um, it's one of those things. There are times in life where you can either take a side or sit on a fence. Mm. But there are times in life where you have to pick a side and sitting on the fence is still picking a side. Mm. And this is, to me, when it comes to SEN and equality and accessibility and all that lot, if you're sitting on the fence, you're not really caring. You want to. You, you do have to, in this world, take an action in this area. And taking an action for children and young people who are potentially some of our most vulnerable children. Potentially, how how much more important can it be? You know, it it really is. I mean, that's why we're in the business we're in, isn't it? It is. But I think what you just said there about you know go onto your website and find it. I think that's a really really good you know starting point you know just go and find because i think with the best will in the world sometimes these documents the accessibility plan and they're just they're kind of tick jobs we do them oh we don't have to review it for another four years and it kind of sits on the website and it's not really looked at it's not really reviewed until it needs to happen again in another four years and guess what 
we just put the same things on again. You know, we know what we do is we Google accessibility plan. Mm. We find another school's website. <laughs> we find their accessibility plan. We copy. We then do find and replace and go, got a new plan. And we go, marvellous. And then we move on. And is that best endeavours? That's so not it's any endeavours. endeavours, is it? <laughs> it's so, it's, and I mean, I know the, te- don't get me wrong, I know the temptation. I'm madly busy. I've got 750 things on my to-do list, but that's about, you know, actually. It comes back to your values and yes. and your inc- how you're doing that within your inclusion. You're saying every child matters, but one of the things I've, um, I did a webinar for governors and um, actually what I did was we've all seen that equity picture yes. with those kids on boxes looking over a fence and and sometimes we children need more because they can't and this is what this is about but it's not about what you're doing it's also in governor's time mm. it's also in senior leaders mindset is yeah. these aren't we'll deal with these when we need to but i need to focus on the league tables is actually what this is saying is we do need to spend more time talking about sen we need to make sure this is a bigger focus because they need the support yeah and to me and and I've talked to people, they don't really get it. And they go, well, I never had that. And I'm like, well, you're here. You've got a job. You've got a car. You've got a house. You've got kids. Did you need it? No. But there are other people who haven't got all the stuff you've got. You have worked hard for, not taking any of that away. You've got everything you've got. But not everyone has those opportunities. They're not able to do the stuff you've done. And they just need a bit of a helping ladder. They need that step up. So to me, as, as governors, is you should probably spend... If, let's say, 20% of children have SEN, mm-hmm. should 20% of governors' meetings be involved talking about SEN? That's a very interesting yeah, equation. Yeah, to think of it like that. But no, they're often an afterthought. They're the bolt-on. So we have all these plans and someone goes, have we thought about this? It's like, well, that should have been started at the very beginning as you were discussing this. Yeah. So it's that sort of stuff. Is That's kind of what needs to change. And it is how much time, how much effort you are thinking about it. And as you said, that is, it's got to be embedded throughout yeah. the whole school. I, and I think, you know, re- reviewing and then every four years refreshing the, the accessibility plan is something that needs to be on the, you know, the clerk to the governing board, uh, to, the, to the trust board need to have that timetabled in so that that is, you know, regularly talked about. And, and isn't just about bringing the Senko in to talk about it, but actually is part of every, every person's, every leader in the school, everybody's responsibility to should have an action on that accessibility plan. Uh, you know, we're at yeah. the point where everybody's sort of looking at their curriculum subjects now, intent, implementation, impact, you know, we, you know, following the drive of the, of, the, of the change in the curriculum. So that's an ideal time for every subject leader and head of department to be thinking, you know, how accessible is my subject? Are there, is there any aspect of what we teach and how we teach that could be directly or indirectly discriminating? And how can we make that learning more accessible to children with specific kinds of disabilities. And in reviewing the accessibility plan as a governing board, I would be saying, talk to your parents, talk to the children. You know, have we made the impact that we intended to? You know, talking to the kids is going to be a, a crucial way of gauging, you know, the progress that you've made and where you need to where you need to go next as well. So, yeah. One thing I, um, I remember discussing this when I was a, go- was a governor, and this was when I was, I think, vice chair. And I found it really interesting. The school was requires improvement. And the kind of the feeling on the governing body is they are requires improvement and we need to help them out of it. Mm-hmm. Not we are yeah. requires improvement. Because that's what I said. I said, if the school, I said, here's the senior leadership box. 
It says senior leadership requires improvement. That's us. Yeah. But they, the governors kind of didn't see it. They thought that was the school got judged, not them. And I was like, no, no, this is us. We have let this happen. Yes. That this is anything like this. This is the governor's responsibility. So all of these things we've got, we're involved in and we are being judged and we've allowed this to happen. Yeah, and, and in the it's quite categorical if you if you want to think about the accountability of the inspection framework that governance is sits pure absolutely at the heart of leadership management judgment. So there's there's no getting away from the fact that you know no. a school is judges requires improvement or has an element of of areas for development in leadership management. Of course, that that is that is absolutely squarely you know the governance is is part of the the problem and hopefully the solution as well. Yes. It, it's that. You can't say we need to help them. No. You've got to say no. We're doing it wrong. We need to get better. Yeah, that's the bit you've got to say. Yeah, it's definitely definitely that that partnership, that symbiosis, working together really with the governing board and and the and the and the school staff is 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 crucial. And I think on that note, if we think about the Senko particularly and their relationship with the governing board, possibly you may have an SCN gov SCN governor. Yeah. It's important to to remember that the the responsibilities around governance and send sits with every member of the governing board. You know the whole governing board. But I would say it, it's it is quite useful to have a member of the governing board who has particular focus and oversight of it, and can just keep being the champion really, uh, uh, and rem to remind the governing board about uh, around its duties there. So having a really good relationship with that Senko, ideally meeting, you know, once a term to to talk about the provision and the outcomes, what's working well, what are the barriers to us not being able to do as well as we want to, and having a really open dialogue is is really important. The governors really need to be thinking about how the policy, their SEM policy, how is that operating in practice? Is it enabling the school to really improve the quality of education so for children with sense so so can we see that that policy is enabling that to happen what are we providing really great outcomes are we enabling great outcomes for children with SCN and that's that's the big picture question that as a governing board needs to be asking and as and as an SCN governor in your those termly meetings you know to be thinking about just things like just think what what's the profile knowing what's the profile of children with sen in your school how does that compare locally and nationally so you know you know what you're dealing with asking the questions around the outcomes in terms of data both external end of key stage for children with sen but also any internal tracking data as well what's that telling us about the progress children are making with sen so asking those questions not forgetting things like attendance for sen exclusions for sen bullying any complaints coming in as a governing board needing to keep keep an eye on on that as well if there are problems in the, in those areas what is the school doing about that and then tracking that over time is are the any strategies to sub improve attendance for example and, and ex, you know eliminate bullying is that having an impact what's the school's view on the quality of teaching and learning for children with sen some of the most challenging children we have to teach you know, are us teachers feeling confident and skilled, having the right training and support to teach those children and hence make, you know, better outcomes? What are the behaviour and attitudes like of children with SEND as well? How do we know that? And then thinking about the personal development of those children as well. Not, so not just the, 
the quantitative, you know, data, but just qualitatively as well. Do they feel safe at school? Are they engaged in their in their learning? Are they being able to really develop as a whole child as, as well in readiness for transition to their next stage of, of education? So those are the sort of things that as, as a as a, a SENCO and a SEN governor, you need to be just using that opportunity once a term to sort of step back and, and look at that. And then once a year, ideally, you pull that together in an annual report to the governing board so that you formally sort of sum up where this, you know, the school is in terms of its uh, SEN provision. That doesn't mean to say, you know, you're only talking about SEN once a year when that SEN report comes to. Please, goodness, don't, don't, don't for one second think I'm saying that, you know, every governing board meeting we need to be asking you know, making sure that sends on the agenda. It's not bolt on. It's not, I oh, will skip over the SEN kids and we'll just focus on everybody else. You know, yep. very much, you know, embedded in what we do day to day, you know, in, in our governing board meetings. But but it's useful, I think, to have that annual report that sort of pulls that information really together and making sure that as a governor, you're involved in there's those sort of self-evaluation, school self-evaluation activities around SEN as well. So you can really get a clear picture of what's going on. So that might be, you know, coming along to have pupil interviews, uh, talking with parents. It might be that you're going to come along and do a learning walk to look at children's engagement in their learning. It might be that there's a new intervention that you put a lot of money into as a school, maybe a nurture provision, seeing what's the impact that's having now that we've, you know, put a lot of support and training into that. Is that paying dividends? And, you know, on another side of it is around that that crucial area of, of the school's funding, their notional budget for SEND. As yep. governing board, we need to be thinking, how how are we utilising and using that that money? And what's the impact that's having on progress and, and outcomes? Schools may have service level agreements with different, you know, psychology services, specialist teaching services, etc. You know, are they providing us what we need? Are we making the best use out of those SLAs? What's the impact of the use of those on 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 children's outcomes as well? So there's, you know, quite a lot there. Yeah. To get, you know. So what I think to me, the send governor should be renamed to the senco governor. Hmm. Because when you have a SEND governor, it sounds like that person's dealing with SEND. I don't need to worry. Mm-hmm. And the same SENCO is not the SEND doer. They're the SEND coordinator. Mm-hmm. So they are not doing everything. They're just coordinating. And that's, that's kind of the SEND governor's role. Because you use all that stuff is you are coordinating and managing. But SEND is the responsibility of all governors, not the SEND governor, all governors. That SEND governor's job is they are a contact person, they are a point of contact, they are going to kind of do part of that report and do all that stuff you've just mentioned, but it's not them just reporting and you just going, yep, 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 yep. Your responsibility as a governor is when, you're, when you've got that report is to ask questions, mm-hmm. is to question, make sure that it is happening. Because sometimes with everything going on, someone might miss something. So it's your responsibility and every governor's responsibility to question and make sure that is happening. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, whatever governor monitoring activity you are doing, you're going to be focusing on SEN as much as you are on, on any other children as well. So that that's that need, just as, you know, people premium, whatever it might be, you know, we, and safeguarding, you know, we, we're looking at that all the time anyway. But yes, 
I think Sen- the Senko role, and, and we hear it a lot, don't we? It's quite a lonely job in school, you know. Yep. And I think having having a link to the governing board via a, a Senko governor or a Sen governor, you know, it is is a, a, a really can be a very useful partnership. And I would say to all governors and, and Sen governors particularly, make sure you really understand what that Senko's job entails. And Senko's, make sure you share that. You know, this is this is what my, you know, day to day operate. This is what the day to day operation of the Sen policy actually looks like in, in my for my role. This is what I'm focused on, and this is how this I, is all the stuff I don't have time to do. Yes, <laughs> but crucially, if 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 you know, I think there's two there's two questions I like to ask. I like to ask as 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 a, as a Sen governor, and I wish I was asked them when I was a Senko, and and that's really to think about. What what is it that supports you to do your job well? Yeah, what is it in school that's yep. supporting you doing your job well? And then what are the barriers that may be preventing you from doing it as well as you'd like? So just as a, as a SEN governor asking or governing board asking that question of the SENCO can sort of enable you to sort of sit back and reflect, okay, what is helping and what's hindering? And it may yeah. well be that actually the barrier might be, you know, we haven't really got a distributed leadership around SEND or I'm having to do everything and really, you know, that responsibility for SEND needs to be broadened. Or it might be I haven't got the time I need because I'm also doing this and this and this and this and this and it's actually, and the number of children on the SEM record is going up and actually I've got quite a lot more complex high-needs children than I had we had five years ago. So, you know, the non-contact time that was right three or four years ago isn't really isn't really working now, you know. So really understanding that role and understanding you know it might be that it's just not sufficient admin time you know yeah. it's and and these sharing these things with the governing board you know bringing it up to that that's the sort of strategic level maybe what's needed to, for things to change it might be that you've spent time developing a plan to develop SEN you've done that accessibility plan you've done all of this and you sat there and gone but we're not actually making anything any progress towards because unless I do it no one else is doing it it's not really embedded in the school and it might be actually reflecting on that how well if you're not doing it is it going to happen yeah are people doing it without you reminding them each week is it thought about it's that sort of stuff is also going to be part of that conversation yeah yeah so we've covered a whole hour discussing the role of a governor we literally spent i think about half over half an hour just discussing their legal statutory duties because yeah. it is quite big yeah. and it would be lovely if there was one book where you could just go these are your statutory duties of you as a governor but generally what happens with government documents is you have all of this and then in that document it says oh and this document you're going huh and you go read that document and that says oh and the, this one and you go oh, what and then it's not that easy so it is for me as a governor when this sort of stuff happens so even with like the um, often inspection framework I went through because I knew whenever you discussed it that none of the governors had read the offset inspection framework. So I went through and tamed that whole document and highlighted everything which was our responsibility. Everything that we had to do and just gave it a really short version. And then we went, we talked about those, but it's got rid of the rest of the document, we did that. So sometimes really summarizing a document down to what all those musts and shoulds literally pulling those out as a school level mm-hmm. makes life a little bit easier. Because what I find is sometimes if you give someone a 300-page document, they'll look at it and go, 
I won't bother. Yeah. If you can get that 300 pages down to 10 pages I really need to know about, I'm more likely to buy in. I'm more likely to read and think about it. And it is. Sometimes that's that size, that document makes it very daunting. But hopefully everything Kate's given you, it really helps you work out this is what we are doing, this is what we need to do. And you might be sitting there going, yep, I'm in a good place. But is that we're in a good place because we're ticking the boxes or are we in a good place because we are really delivering on it? Or are we in a bad place because this is the first time I've ever heard of the equality? <laughs> so it'd be a different place, but it might be, it's not being discussed, but it might be there. So it's one of the things is going and investigating all these stuff we talked about on your own school website. What can you find? Is it covered? Have we got this? When was it last reviewed? When some of our policies weren't reviewed at all regularly. And it was quite shocking when we find some policies had sat there for 10 years and hadn't been reviewed. So it's going and checking. It's just making sure you're checking. How are we doing this? Are we doing this? Things get missed, especially if you have a clerk change and a chair of governor change. Everything gets passed on. So if it's a new clerk, there are things that can get missed, not on purpose, just by accident, but just going and asking those questions, find out the answers yourself, see what you find and go that way. So big thank you for today. So I've got written down the useful links we're going to share is the SND Code of Practice. I'll probably put the Equality Act and the other ones in there. We've got the FDFE Guide for School Leaders on the Equality Duty 2010. Yeah. And we've got the Accessibility Plan Template, which you said you're going to share with us. So I'll be putting those all on our show notes. Big thank you for today. It's I was, I was a governor. I left bad terms. But it's always nice hearing someone talk about how well it can work. <laughs> There's a certain level of temptation to get back involved. I think you should, Dale. I think you should. I think you'd be fab. <laughs> but it is, is um, as you, it's like when you buy a car and you, you, you go, oh, I'm going to buy a house. You dive in and you realise you really shouldn't have bought that one. <laughs> I think my being a governor was a bit like that. I really shouldn't have chosen that school at that time. But it was my daughter's school. I had ups and downs. I had lots of fun in some ways, but lots of stress in others. But there is, I think there is lots I can offer schools. And a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, uh, mainly gained from people like you, Kate, who are just filling me every week with lots more information, lots more knowledge. Yeah, yeah just not yet, not yet. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, big thank you. I always say that a lot because it Pleasure. is, I do love learning and hopefully those listening are also enjoying the learning. And yeah. Thanks very much. It's been great. I mean, I would just, just say that there are some useful videos and things on a number of websites now from organisations like Driver Youth Trust about the role of, of governing boards around SEN as well. So it, it's um, there's bits and pieces out there, uh, National Governors Association as well, of course. And, and also, that, that you know, just networking with other governing boards around what they're doing i think that's really useful as well just to make sure you, you you're sort of saying well how do you how do you make sure that you're you know fulfilling those that crucial scrutiny in your school and i think if you're obviously a member of a, of a trust then you know that that's broadening that wider as well but just keep keeping on on top of your governor training you know any local authority or or, or, or trust training that, that that's happening around governance make sure people are accessing that as well um, those sort of updates yeah that's all that's all going to help as well what I found when um, things went rosy where I was and I did question what were other people doing and I, I was on a governor Facebook group and I just reached out and ended up talking to some national leaders in governance didn't realize this until I met up with them 
And it's just amazing how much time these people had mm. to support. Like, oh, yeah, I'm terrible. There's the three schools. You're literally going, how? But they understand the process and, it, and they've much more better equipped to do things than I was. Um, and it was really useful for me to say, well, okay, so we are doing this, 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 and it doesn't feel right. And you look up and you say, the look on your face, you're going, so it's not right. Okay, cool. But it's the way it's always been was always the answer. Yeah. So it was really useful for me is to go and talk to a couple of other governors, chair of governors and other schools outside of my local authority where, when I think, especially if you're a small local authority, yeah. it gets a bit odd because you're all getting the same advice from the same people and it's their version. Maybe not a more thought out from their experiences. And so going to other authorities gave me a much wider experience and understanding of the role. And I couldn't see it was right and it wasn't changing. Anyway, let's move on. I do do governor training, you know, if you want, if, if anybody was interested, just just say if they were interested in needing that for their own governing boards, then then let me know as well. I've already um, got a question to ask you about that after. That <laughs> okay. So we're putting all the links to everything we've mentioned and you'll find useful in the show notes. I'll be also putting Kate's contact details in the show notes as well. So you can find the show notes on our website, www.thesencast.com. And also wherever you listen, there's generally most of it does appear in wherever you listen. I think Apple cuts some of it off. But most of it is there. So big thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website because we've got links to all the different platforms you can listen to us on. And you can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news. You can follow us on all the different social medias. So on Twitter, at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else, please send an email to me at hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send conference? This is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by us here at B Square, but it covers all aspects of SEND. And what makes this conference different is access across the internet. The conference runs twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you, your school, with something you can take away and implement rather than just listening to how it could be. We want actually to have something you can start implementing and make a difference in your school. You can buy tickets for future or past events as the video is always available and you can build a really big library of training and CPD for SEND that everyone in your school can access. So it's great because everyone can get trained, not just the Senko. And the cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, as I just said, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. So that's the virtual Send conference. And if you are a parent, we also have Parent Talks, which follows a similar approach, but is aimed at parents. And it's £10 per family for those 12 sessions. And you can find more about the Parent Talks by going to www virtualsendconference.com forward slash parent talks so thank you for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast goodbye from me and goodbye from me thanks everyone bye bye, bye.